Lord, we thank you for yet another day to worship you. Uh, this is the day that you've made. We want to rejoice. We want to find joy in it because it's your gift to us. So Holy Spirit of God, now open our minds, we pray, so that we would see what's right and true and good, and even give us the desire to realign our life in light of who you are and what you said. Your way is better, Jesus, and sometimes we just don't live as if that's true. But today, by faith, we open our eyes to see so that we'll live in your way and really thrive. We ask that you start to do that, continue to do that, and that you complete that in our world, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, differences, okay? Last week, we started a discussion about how we're different and how we are called to stay together in light of our very real differences. If you missed last week, no biggie. I've got a recap coming up. But we have, uh, we have differences in time. You have your morning people. Anyone there? You're here. So you're, you're kind of, you got your morning people, you have your evening, your night owls, and then you have your in the middle. You know, some people are like, man, from 10 to 2 p.m. Like, I'm just like, that's my sweet spot. And so we just don't, we don't see time the same way. I, to me, if I, if I sleep till 7 o'clock, I feel like I've wasted the whole day. And maybe you think I'm weird. Yes. The answer is yes. And then you have differences in like what we drink. So you have coffee, you have, you have third, third wave small batch, you know, locally, locally uh, roasted coffee. And then some of you are like, no, you know, heavy cream, heavy sugar, douse the thing, stir the thing. And then you have people like decaf. Why? I don't know. But, and then you have others who do like, I don't want coffee. I want tea or I want hot chocolate or something else. We don't, we don't even agree on, like, we do a variety of things here because we know life is better if you get your thing, right? We have our, we have our differences. And um, the more you get to know people, the more you realize it's the small things usually. It's not the big things that pull us apart most, sometimes, but most often it's the small things that rub us the wrong way. So last week I was sharing for the week with a group of churches in a, a town called Ploiest, Romania and sharing the gospel. And Sunday morning while you were here, I was in two different churches, like went from one, preached, jumped in the car, went straight to the other one, Pentecostal church and a Baptist church. And it was helpful as I was thinking about what to share this weekend. So they have, they have very little in common. I mean, it was all done in Romanian, so I was clueless, other than me talking. But, but as I was there experiencing it, it was just quite different. In, in one of the churches, uh, the men and the women don't sit together. And so the men sit on one side and the ladies sit on another. The women wear a head covering. Uh, and that, so we say, like, well, why would you do that? That's just a, a conviction. That's how church is done. The, uh, the other church, you know, everyone was intermixed. And, and every guy, and me included, because I knew I'm not going to mess this up, every guy had a suit on. Every single guy in the church, and there were a few hundred in it. And that's just, that's just not how we roll here. So I'm glad to be back. Hallelujah. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, that, we, have our, we have our differences. In, in one of them, uh, when they had a time of prayer, let's pray, and everyone prayed out loud together. And it went on for 15 to 20 minutes of everyone just praying out loud to the living God. And, and the other one they did the same exact thing for 20 minutes. But one person prayed like really loud so that everyone can hear and agree. And then silence. And then another person. And some of you say like, oh, I fit with this or I 
fit with that. Some of you are saying, like, I want to pull out my suit now. Do it next week. It'll be amazing. Do it. You'll be a loner, but do it. Um, differences. So these differences are small, yet they're very real. And what's really cool about these two churches and these two pastors, I've worked with them now three times, is, is that they love each other. They're really great friends. And even though the style of their communities are very different, it's the same Jesus and it's the same Bible and it's the same heart of worship. So in going to two hours back to back, completely different experiences, I spent the rest of the time with the other two leaders. And frankly, you wouldn't be able to tell the difference. They both love God, yet it looks in small ways quite quite differently. The fun part is all of the outreaches were done at restaurants over meals. And so from these and other churches, people invited people to a meal for business leaders, for ladies, for students. And we talked about Jesus from that angle. And around the table at these restaurants were Jesus-loving people and their friends all around a meal together. Sunday morning looks different, but at the restaurant, you couldn't tell who invited who from whatever church. And frankly, it didn't matter because they are united in what matters the most. And my friend, that's what this whole discussion is about. We're going to continue a conversation today about the art, and I call it the art of conflict resolution. It's an art because it's not natural. It's an art because it could be learned. It's an art because you can actually grow in how to resolve the conflicts that are all around you in the church, in work, in your neighborhood or amongst your friends if we'll listen to what God has to say about the differences and how to work through them. So here's what I want to do. Let's look back at Romans 14. We'll start in verse 1. Steve Marshman, who's here, he taught on verses 1 through 3. But because all of chapter 14 and the first half of chapter 15 is the same argument or the same discussion, let's just start at the beginning. It says, Except the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not treat the other with contempt and the one who, uh, contempt for the one who does not. And the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does. For God has accepted them. Uh, remember last week, the whole conversation was, Paul's just giving one example of things, real life things in their church. Remember when Romans is written, uh, early on when we talked about the timing of it, the Jews had been expelled out of the city of Rome. All of the Jews, Jesus following or not, were kicked out of Rome because of uh, politics. Then they were allowed back. So for years, the church that was there, which was started with Jews and non-Jews, for a period of time had all of the Jews removed. Then they moved back. And so when they come back, they find out that the way they're following Jesus was actually quite different. Those who followed the way of Jesus but came from a Jewish tradition still followed the law given to Moses, especially how you eat and how you live. And remember, those, uh, some in the church were strong and weak, or majority and minority. And Paul, as Steve was saying last week, he sides with those who are of the majority. It doesn't matter what you eat or don't eat. That's a matter of conscience. And remember two things from last week that I think are the framework for us to continue the discussion today is what do you do when you don't agree with someone? Now, disclaimer, this is about Jesus follower to Jesus follower. 
The rules are slightly different when someone doesn't follow Jesus. We can't get into that in this discussion. But this is for those of us who already have the same belief that Jesus is the Lord and we've chosen to follow him. How do we resolve some of our very real, but usually small, differences? Two things. One, we accept one another. And remember, like Steve was saying, the word accept is to welcome, to invite into your home or your circle of friends. So no matter where you fit on an issue, whether it's style of worship, whether it's what's allowable to eat or drink, our goal as Jesus followers together is to accept, embrace, invite into the home. We don't push people away because of secondary matters. Instead, the second thing that, that Steve was saying last week is we extend grace to one another. We give grace. Why? We've received it. And God has accepted us and God's cared for us even when we don't deserve it. And so that's, that should be the response. Now, that was last week and that was the foundation. We're just going to build on it. And today I want to talk about why. Okay, we're supposed to accept one another and extend grace. But why is this so important? Why is it critical that you and I, no matter where you feel you are on the issue, right or, or wrong, um, conservative, quote-unquote, or liberal, whatever you feel in the spectrum of our differences in politics and how to raise kids, all of these, what I would call secondary issues, why is it important that we stay united? Well, we'll just keep reading. Well, verses 4 and 5 give us a little bit of insight. Three reasons we're going to see this morning why Unity is so important. Who are you to judge, verse 4, who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servants stand or fall. And they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. Now, one person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. He's talking about even the way they worship. Some people saw some days as holy days, the Sabbath every week, and then the Jewish feasts. This came from the tradition of Scripture. This wasn't made up. And some said, like, because God gave these special days, just because we're following Jesus means we need to keep these days as, like, different, as sacred. And the Feast of Tabernacles and Passover and all those, those are celebrations that God gave to our forefathers. We need to continue this. If we really love Jesus, we keep these days as holy and others are like, man, I, I didn't grow up in a Jewish home, and I don't even know what you're talking about. And our family didn't eat kosher, and every day, like, is it, every day is a day to worship Jesus. How do you reconcile it? Three reasons why, and they're all in the rest of chapter 14 here. The first, write it down, is we belong to God. The first reason that unity is so important in resolving conflict, not shoving it under the rug, not pretending it doesn't exist, but actually seeing it, identifying it, bringing it up, discussing it, and working through our differences is so important is because we belong to God. Verse 4, who are you to judge someone else's servant? Before I point the finger at you and say, man, I can't believe you're doing that, I need to remember who you belong to if you're in Jesus. Again, disclaimer, this is about Jesus follower to Jesus follower. When someone's not following Jesus, man, we're going to have some very real differences that may be a struggle to resolve because we're not even on the same foundation. Uh, I'll just give a, a goofy example, but it makes sense because of the world we live in. Portland metro area has the headquarters to two big shoemakers. You got Nike and the other group. And uh, I'm kidding. It was a joke. 
we have some friends that are in leadership in Adidas here as well. So, you know, yes. So Adidas uh, U.S. headquarters is here and Nike's world headquarters is here. So let's just assume you work for Nike, right? You, you wear the swoosh and you're coming in for your review. It's your six-month review and you're a little nervous. But, you know, you walk into the room and in walks someone who's not your supervisor. As a matter of fact, they had the audacity to wear the stripes on the Nike campus. And they, they somehow made it through. And this is a parallel person. So you work in this department. This is a person who works for Adidas with the same skill and knowledge. And this Adidas manager starts to give you a review and you're failing. You're doing terrible. As a matter of fact, you're on the verge of getting fired, right? Well, that, I mean, it's a goofy example that makes no sense, but... What right does someone who works for Adidas have to come on the Nike campus and evaluate a Nike employee? They belong to this company. They belong to this group. And so who's the rightful person? Another person within that group. Now, again, goofy example, and it breaks down, but I think the point is clear. Who are you and I to point the finger at one another? We belong to who? We belong to God. My brother, my sister, who I have a very real disagreement with, usually about smaller issues. Before I point my rightness, before I, I say like, this is really, because it's usually our issue which becomes the big issue. Like, this is really important. It's really important to you, usually. Before I point the finger, I got to recognize I don't have the right because I am not God. So God is the one who has the right to, to review and ultimately judge whether they're in the right or in the wrong. I'll give you an example from my own world, and this is going to touch something that is a definite sensitive topic, and we have the weak and the strong, the majority and the minority in this church on this issue. I grew up in a Christian tradition that, and I grew up going to church. My parents weren't Jesus followers, um, but they, they came to faith, and it radically transformed their life, and so they, their behavior radically changed, and so they happened to come to faith in a tradition in a church that said that, that Jesus' followers don't drink alcohol, period. Um, they, they don't. Why? Because of a text like Ephesians 5, 18. It says, don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery or just wild living. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And if we have the Holy Spirit, why would we drink? Because drinking, even in moderation, is going gonna, is gonna to dull the senses. And, and where's the line? So, the tradition that I grew up in said, even though the text didn't say, do not drink at all, said Jesus' followers want to be filled to the overflowing with God. And so why get close to the line? Because there is a line, right? And drunkenness is the line. And so, so why push it? So just avoid it all together. And that's how I grew up. And that, I went to a Christian college where I had to sign a, a statement saying I would not consume any alcohol even if I was of age and even if it was legal. And that was the honor code. And so that's, that's my tradition. And some of you are like, oh, yeah, I actually like him now. Like, he's, he's my guy. And some of you are like, dude, don't even think about imposing that kind of value. Well, here's what happened. I, I had a crisis. So I, I was in my 20s, grew up in this tradition, went to school in this tradition, and kind of embraced this tradition and went, uh, started preaching in Europe in my early 20s. And as I started traveling around, I realized, like, wow, um, I, people don't embrace the same value at all. And so whether it's wine and a meal or beer or whatever, and, and I, I just like, well, that's, 
That's not me. And I would politely say, oh, no, thank you. Oh, no, thank you. No, thank you. And I remember I was in England, and we had this youth outreach where God was just at work and some young people getting radically rescued. It was just obvious. God was working like I gave the same message I had given the night before, but the results were just way bigger and, and brokenness in young people's eyes. And I was just so ecstatic. We went back to the youth leader's house, and I really respected him. He had a really good reputation. I went back to his house. I was like, hey, man, have a beer. Wasn't this great? And I'm thinking like, whoa, I didn't have a framework for this. I didn't. And my, my respect for him evaporated in a moment. And he was just trying to celebrate that God had done something good. So cheers. And so okay, I got to pause because you're like, Okay, where are you in this spectrum? For them, it was, do we worship on a Jewish holiday or not? Or do I eat meat that could have been sacrificed to an idol in the marketplace? Or out of honoring God, do I just eat vegetables and stay away from the line? Well, here's what I can tell you. Looking back, I had a judgmental attitude. As I look back, I'm like, wow, not only did I not extend grace but in, in the group that I kind of came from, this was an issue we divide over. If you are a preacher of God's word and you drink, something is wrong with you. If it's not outright sin, it's definite compromise. And the attitude problem, looking back, and, and you know, 2020 vision is always when you look back, uh, something was wrong with my heart. Now, here's what I can say. It is okay to hold either of these views. This is a secondary issue. Uh, should Jesus followers drink alcohol? The answer is yes. Should Jesus followers drink alcohol? The answer is no. Depending on your conviction, it is okay. So if you're here and you say like, you know what? I come from, now my parents came from a lifestyle of heavy drinking. So when they came to faith, they realized, no. This part of our life, we're cutting off. And I respect that. And I, I have to say my convictions have changed over the years. And, it, it, and at times can cause tension within the family because what I was brought up with is no longer my conviction. I am here to say, though, two things. One, it's okay to hold either of those convictions. And we shouldn't be throwing arrows and we shouldn't be judging one another. Secondly, getting drunk on both sides would, both would say, those who say it's okay for a Christian to drink, those who say it's, it's not, both would agree the Bible says that getting drunk leads to all sorts of things that are against the heart of God, and so Jesus' followers shouldn't get drunk. So, the, so, so both would say that. It's just the approach to that. Some would say it's okay. Some would say it's not. Here's what I want us to remember. Before I start pushing my conviction about a secondary issue. This is not a core issue, like is Jesus the Son of God? This is not a core issue, like is this Bible the Word of God? This is not a core issue, it's like Jesus promised to return and to make the world anew. Like those are like fundamental core issues where you say, man, if you don't believe that, I would wonder if you know God's truth and are living in God's truth. This is a secondary issue of how I live out my faith in the real world. I need to remember, one, I belong to God and so does my friend. And so I want to be careful that I am not hurting my Jesus-loving friend who has a conviction that's different from me. And it's okay to not have the same conviction. Can we agree? It's okay. 
But on all of these issues, this is why unity is important. It's because it's like the manager of another company trying to judge another company's employee. It doesn't make sense. So in the same way, if you're in Jesus, you belong to God. And God is the one who's going to judge you on whether your convictions are consistent or not. So I shouldn't point the finger. The second thing comes from verses 6 through 9. So let's just keep reading a bit. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord, for they give thanks to God. And whoever abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. Notice, meat or not eating meat. You could throw in drink or not drinking. Both of them are doing it to God. Verse 7. For none of us lives for ourselves alone, and none of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord for this very reason. Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. It's the Lord, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord is the connection there. Second thing I want us to see is we don't have to agree on secondary issues. Again, Steve was talking about it last week. This is just a bit of overlap review that's helpful. We don't, we don't have to agree. So the one who eats does it to Jesus, and the one who doesn't does it to Jesus. We don't have to agree. So whether it's special days for them, it was Jew and non-Jew, Sabbath, holy days, how you eat, kosher, non-kosher, they have their convictions, and Paul had his convictions. Here's the weird one. Paul was like the hyper-Jew who kept everything meticulously, and then when he comes to Jesus, his whole worldview shifts so it's not like he was a non-Jew saying to the Jews, we could do whatever we want. He was the Jew of Jews saying, well, gosh, now I think I'm free. And so our, our attitude and our mindset about secondary things may change over time. Here's a simple question that I think we can, we can ask to filter this out. Well, what do I do on these these issues, how do I know if I'm in the right? Can I do this in front of Jesus? That, I think, is like a helpful, it's not the only question you can ask, but I think it's a really helpful. If Jesus were physically standing here and I was engaged in this, would he, would he smile? Would he find joy and pleasure in me practicing or not practicing this thing? Can I do this in front of Jesus? ought to be for us like a standard. Verse 8, if we live, we live for the Lord. So now, I have to go back, and just to be hyper clear, I'm talking about secondary issues. When we worship and how we worship, what we eat, what we drink, how we wear. What, what is appropriate clothing in warm weather in Oregon? What is appropriate? How short is Fashionable short, and where does it become too short? All of these things, we're not going to be, we're not going to be on the same page on all of it, but certain things are clearly taught in Scripture, and so we can't apply the, well, Jesus wants me to be free and live like I want. Can we lie in front of Jesus and have him smile? Can we cheat in front of Jesus and have him smile? Can we gossip in front of Jesus and have him smile? Can we steal in front of Jesus and have him smile? Can we live with pride in front of Jesus and have him smile? Those are like crystal clear. And so there's a lot of behavior that you and I and our culture would say, that's okay. And the way of Jesus would say, no, that's never okay. And so I'm not talking about those very clearly taught in the Bible things that the Bible calls sin. So when the Bible calls it sin, we're going to call it sin. 
And, and we need to know that. But on secondary issues, if the, what if there's no clear text, no clear precedent that says you should never do this? I'll, I'll use the drinking example. You have a really tough time, unless you're in the Old Testament taking the Nazarite vow, which don't even go there because you can't shave and there's all sorts of other things. And, and so don't even use that one. But it's a real tough to find one that says a Jesus follower should never drink. But, but I got to respect someone who takes the conviction that says, I want to be filled with the Spirit instead of other things. So the first thing I need to know is everyone belongs to God, so I need to be careful. And because everyone belongs to God, we don't have to agree on secondary issues. We got to give grace to one another. And there's, there's one more, verses 10 through 12, kind of highlights it. So let's just continue on. You then, verse 10, why do you judge your brother or sister? Again, we belong to God. Why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before, catch this one, God's judgment seat. Ooh. It is written, and then he quotes from Isaiah, as surely as I live, says the Lord, Isaiah 45, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will acknowledge God. So he pulls into what God had told the prophet Isaiah some 700 years ago, as in the end, everyone's going to stand before God. So then, is the statement, verse 12, each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. So we belong to him, and we don't have to agree on secondary issues. Third thing, write this down. We will give an account. So his logic is, why are you hurting a brother or sister? Why are you evaluating, reviewing them? You're going to be reviewed. In the end, you're going to stand before God's judgment seat. So we're, we're talking about living in light of the day. In light of the day of the Lord, how do I follow his way now? In light of the future, that's secure. Jesus will return. Jesus will judge. Because in another letter, here he says, God's judgment seat. I think it's in Corinthians. He says, the judgment seat of Jesus Christ. So in the end, we're going to give an account. Now, what is God's judgment seat? Because there's a little bit of confusion on this, so let me hopefully clear it up. When the Bible talks about judgment, it's not talking about one thing. Uh, it's not talking about just one. There, in the end, there's going to be multiple periods of judgment for multiple people. So there will be a judgment in the end for those who did not embrace Jesus Christ, who didn't receive Jesus by faith. That's one kind of judgment. If you're in Jesus, you will not have that kind of judgment. So we just think of it as like, man, God's out to get us, and Jesus is like a Band-Aid. He softens the blow, but God's going to blow me up in the end. Because he's going he's just, he just, no, to blow me up. No, 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 no. If you are in Jesus, you have crossed from death to life. You will be alive with God. He's like, but you don't know my baggage. Look, I know your baggage, and that's why Jesus died and rose again. So we have to remind ourselves of what is true. Even though I do sin at times and I live against who I am, because I am alive in Jesus. I'm alive in him. His spirit lives in me. But sometimes I live in contradictory form and I don't do the things I know I should do. But I, in the end, because of grace, because of faith in Jesus, I'm going to be with God. So some of you are wondering, like, man, I know I love Jesus, but I'm still wondering, am I going to burn in the end? But there is a judgment for those who reject. Romans 2, 
this, we talked about this months ago, but let me bring it up again. Romans 2, but because of your, and he's talking about unrepentant people, because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath. That's the day of the Lord. When his righteous judgment will be revealed, God will repay each person according to what they've done. To those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, he's going to give eternal life. Now, I don't have time to reteach this again. He's not saying those who just like make it to a certain spiritual level. Those who are in Jesus and live in the way of Jesus, they're going to get eternal life. He's not saying those who are perfect. But for those who are self-seeking, reject the truth, follow evil. Those who are apart from Jesus, there will be wrath and anger. Anger, not like God lashing people. But there will be an accounting. And if they are apart from Jesus Christ, they will get what they wanted. So this popular notion that in the end, grace and love wins is a misinterpretation of the Bible. In the end, what is true will be true. And if you're in Jesus, you'll live. And if you've rejected Jesus, you will live apart from Jesus, which is frightening. So there is that level of judgment. And by the way, that some of the, the love of Christ compels us because we know what it is to be loved. I want everyone to know that God is calling them close. It's why we share the good news. It's why we try, even though we fumble along, we want people to know Jesus. It's why we take big risks and rent out Hillsborough Stadium and say we want everyone and their mother and father and cousin and friend and enemy to come and hear in a loving, compelling way that Jesus is for them, not against them, and he's offering life. It's why we do this. It's why we go to Romania. It's why we go to Africa. It's why we go everywhere. Because we believe that this is, this day is coming. And I don't want anybody to not know that they know that they know that they're invited. But at the same token, that is not for you and me. So God's judgment seat, when he's talking here, the reason, you're, why are you hurting your brother and sister? Don't you know you're going to stand before God's judgment seat? This is a different thing altogether. 2 Corinthians 5 kind of highlights what God's judgment seat. Write it down, 2 Corinthians 5, 9 and 10. Let me read it. So we make it our goal to please him, whether we're at home, living, in the body, or away from it, in our death. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one of us may receive what's due him do us for the things while done in the body, whether good or bad. So there is a judgment for those who've rejected Jesus. And again, if you're in him, you're not going to be there. But we who are in Jesus are going to give an account for our lives. And this judgment seat is about evaluation. And here's the good news. It's about reward. It's not about evaluating like, I can't believe you never overcame. I can't believe you stumbled. I can't believe you needed grace again. No, it's about my child, my son, my daughter. I saw you. Well done, good, faithful servant. Come enjoy the master's reward. There will be a time of reward. And the question is, your life now, will it bring great reward or will you just get in by the skin of your teeth? This is the motivation. We will give an account. So I belong to Jesus, which is never the excuse to sin. Those who say, oh, I'm glad I belong to Jesus. Grace win, loves win. I'm covered. Jesus, I love you. I'm going to do whatever I want. And now you're required, like we can handcuff God. 
that would show a heart that is yet to repent. That kind of mindset thinks that God is small and you could put him in your cage. And my friend, in the end, the person with that kind of mindset will see God for who he is and they will tremble and fall. But you and I who see that God is big and is loving, look, I'm gonna read a very, very, very long text. This is an experiment. I may not do this at 11. If I hear snoring, I know that I've gone too far. But I want you to see it in its full, fullness. What is, the, what is the judgment like, right? I think one of the clearest, best passages we get is from 1 Corinthians 3, and it's an analogy of farming and an analogy of building. So just work with me. He's talking about judgment. Let's just read 1 Corinthians 3, and we'll read most of it. What, after all, is Apollos, who is one of the church leaders? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. Remember that God's judgment seat for us is about faithfulness to what God's given us. And now Paul says, I planted the seed. He helped start the church. Apollos watered it. He's like a leader in the church. But God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything. Like, we're not special people. Only God who makes things grow. Verse 8 is key. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose. They will each be rewarded according to their own labor. For we are co-workers in God's service. Your God's field, God's building. So he's using, a, he, he and Apollos and others are church leaders and people are divided. I go to this church. I go to that church. I follow Paul's teaching. I follow Apollos. I'm a Pentecostal. I'm a Baptist. I'm a this, I'm a that. And what, what Paul says is in light of the day of the Lord, none of this matters. We're just co-workers. In, if God doesn't do the work, nothing is of value. But in the end, God will reward to each. So Paul is a church planter, and God is going to evaluate, did he do anything with the gifts that God had given him? And Apollos is a sharp teacher, and he's going to get evaluated, did he teach with integrity and truth and humility and grace and mercy? And did he, did he declare the word of God? And you, no matter what you do, mom, dad, uh, business owner, neighbor, you're going to be evaluated. You've been given Jesus, given the Holy Spirit, given giftedness. Have you done anything? Because God has a field. Are you planting seed? Are you watering? Are you doing your part? That's what the day of judgment is for us. Verse 10, by the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder and someone else is building on it. I started the church, someone else is growing it. But each one should build with care for no one can lay any foundation any that, other than the one already laid, which is Jesus. So it's like the whole church is built on Jesus. So we have our differences, but he's the foundation. Notice verse 12. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is because the day, the day of the Lord, is going to bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will not kill people. Look at what it says. The fire will test the quality just like you would take a precious metal and you put flame to it to see if it's pure or if it's not. In the end, God's not going to blow people up. He's not going to blow you up. He's not going to blow me up. What he's going to do is he's going to see with the eyes of truth how, how well did we do with what God gave us. 
It will be a reveal of fire. The fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it's burned up, the builder will suffer loss, yet they'll be saved. And then a little parenthesis, even though there's only one escaping through the flames. There'll be some who do nothing with their lives and live unproductive Jesus lives. And in the end, God's not going to throw them out. But the motivation here is that we're built on the foundation of Jesus. So let's just pull this together. You belong to Jesus if you have faith in him, and I belong to Jesus if I have faith in him. And he's given us all of these things, these opportunities, these people, this time, all of this. What are we doing with it? Are we fighting with one another? Are we being lazy? Are we being distracted? Or are we servants who try to hear the master's voice and keep ourselves on task and try to live faithful lives? Here's the deal. It's very hard for you to fully evaluate me. Now, if I'm in sin, you need to call me out. And if you're obviously not following Jesus in the things he's obviously said in Scripture, if you say you follow Jesus and you're living as if you don't, in love, I need to call you out. But calling you out and calling you home and saying wake up is not the same thing as gossiping and pulling you down. But in love, in light of the day of the Lord, in, in light of God who alone, Jesus who alone is able to fully evaluate everyone's life, Jesus who can rescue us from every mess, Jesus who can give us the right reward because he knows us, don't focus on the little things Focus on building one another up so that you and I will be ready. Instead of backbiting, let's love Jesus. Instead of complaining and moaning and groaning and, and accusing, let's follow Jesus. Let's love Jesus because in the end, God is watching. Which you know, I, I, I have to say at times that just frightens me. <laughs> Especially when I know my own waywardness. Like, okay, God is watching. He's watching now. But if I'm in him, this should not scare me to death, but it should motivate me to live. And that's the tension. Because God is watching. We can disagree on secondary matters because I know in the end, you will give an account and I will give an account. So here's the trick. I not only want to live faithful, I want you to live faithful too. This is where being a brother and a sister matters. I don't want to just stand there and say, like, hey, they didn't do it, but Jesus, look at me. I'm first in my class. No. A brother and a sister, part of God's church, says, like, I'm struggling, and I need you to help build me up. And you may be struggling, and I need you to help, uh, I, me to help build you up. We need to work on each other and encourage one another in light of the day. So hopefully by now, maybe one thing, maybe one, as I've been talking, came to mind. Some issue you're going through, maybe some attitude you've had, maybe some um, liberty that you've been engaging in, that somehow, because the Holy Spirit is truth, you're starting to see it in a, in a new light. And maybe the thing that you're saying, like, I'm free to do this, I'm free to do this. Maybe God, the Holy Spirit, is revealing to you, well, that's not as helpful as you think. Whatever the case may be, let me just ask you, what's, what's keeping you from enjoying God's presence now? Can we just do this? Can we be honest? Can we respond with real, authentic worship, which is never pretending 
Jesus always said to the religious people, they wear the right clothes and they worship on the right days, but their heart is full of darkness. So can we just be free enough to come to Jesus with our junk and say, Jesus, here I am. In light of your coming, clean me, correct me, encourage me, stimulate, whatever it is that you need, because we want to worship him. Let's deal with it now, and, and in freedom, let's respond with hearts full of worship, all right? I'm going to invite you to stand. The band's going to come, and let's, um, let's invite the Holy Spirit to now work in the deep places of our life. Let's do that, all right? I'm going to give you a moment, and maybe, maybe we can start by asking the Lord Jesus to free us free us from the stuff that we're allowing to hold us back from life in Him. Lord, you know the heart, and so we, we come to you as open as we can. Our, our mindset is usually just to pretend or to avoid, but today we choose to say we need you, and we recognize that not all of the way that we live is pleasing today we look to you for grace and we look to you for mercy and Holy Spirit, Jesus said you would lead us and guide us into truth Jesus you said even to Peter, I prayed for you because the enemy like wants to sift you like wheat and destroy you, but cheer up Peter, I've prayed for you, so Jesus would you pray over us, would you speak your words of life over us so that we wouldn't stumble and fall forever rather we wake up, draw close, and live. Do that in our community, we pray. Do that in my life, I pray. 